Solomon out of a desperate sense of insecurity trying to lead his father David's kingdom after his death went up to the mountain of sacrifice and offered over a $1 million offering if you compared the value our economy today to their economy back then. It was an extravagant offering. Solomon didn't know how to lead. He didn't have the wisdom or the understanding or the influence that his father had. He got to a place where he didn't know how he could go on, and the only thing he could think to do is give God an extravagant offering. That night, after he gave God such a bountiful sacrifice, God came into his room, asked him what he wanted, said, ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, I'd like to ask you for wisdom because I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to lead. I don't know how to be a king. The responsibility is too great for me. So if you're asking what I want, I want wisdom. And so God gave it to him. When God gave Solomon wisdom, God made him the wisest man ever to walk the face of the earth. God endowed Solomon with his wisdom. God gave a man the wisdom of God. And in Ecclesiastes, which is the second book written by the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth, holding in his own mind the very wisdom of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, to everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. Season, time, purpose. Beautiful pearls are they. Season, time, and purpose. And with the wisdom of God, Solomon has almost taken a, a string and and strewn these pearls together to where they're always connected. There will always be a correlation between season, time, and purpose. And this correlation suggests to us that our life is not a series of chaotic accidents, that life is not a tale told by a fool, and that there's a great nothingness and nothing makes sense. The correlation of season, time, and purpose announced to us that we are the workmanship of a master architect. We are the products of a divine designer. To simplify it, I could just say God has a plan. I want to say it over your life. God has a plan. You may be hurting. Tears may be falling down your face. You may be going through the most difficult season of your life. But hear me. God has a plan. And he has had a plan before you ever got here. He told one prophet named Jeremiah, before you were formed in your mother's belly, I knew you and I ordained you. This raises up an interesting concept. This raises up because if you ask the text a question, how could you know me before I was? And God was telling Jeremiah, I knew you before you came into time. I knew you when you were still with me in eternity. This raises the, the concept that God exists in eternity, outside of time. But he uses time to manifest what he has predestined in eternity. 
So time then is a sort of usher that takes us by the hand and leads us into the manifestation of what God already predestined in eternity. That's why the Bible can say that the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, was slain from the foundation of the world. How could you say that? Because it was an eternal work done in eternity, but didn't manifest in time until around 33 AD. Season, time, purpose. If God has destined it, time will reveal it. I don't care what lie the enemy has told you. If God has destined it, time will reveal it. I have a series of prophetic words to release. This is the first. Somebody needs to hear it. It is only a matter of time. It's not a question of if it's going to happen. It is only a matter of time. I need you to encourage somebody. I need you to preach with me. Look at somebody and say, it's only a matter of time. Our God has many characteristics. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is a creative God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a happy God. Our God is a good God, and it's a good thing because he could be God and not be good. And if he were God and not good, what could we do about it? But he chooses to be good. In fact, he assigns his own goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. Our God's an excellent God. Our God's an articulate God. Our God's a mighty God. God. Our God's an everlasting God. Our God is a blessing God. Our God is a sweet God. Our God's a merciful God. Our God is a long-suffering God. Our God is the kind of God that his anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Our, our, our God, our God is a lot of things, but, but one of the things I want you to focus on that he is, is he's a rhythmic God. God has rhythm in him. And because rhythm was in him, everything that he created has some kind of rhythm to it. That's how he was able to create time because time is just the child of rhythm. When I was learning how to play the piano, my piano teacher, Mr. Albert, he put a metronome on top of the piano, a little device that goes, and the metronome is there to make sure that you don't just play the right key because it's not enough to know how to play the right key. You have to know how to play the right key at the right time or you mess up the song. And although the metronome is an instrument of rhythm, technically, if you had to, you could also use it to tell time. 
because rhythm and time have the same DNA. On every piece of sheet music at the top of the page, you'll see two signatures. There is the key signature of the song that lets you know what key the song's in. But then there is also a time signature of the song to let you know what time the song is supposed to be played in. Rhythm and time are tied together. When God started creating the planets, he made them spin in orbit according to a rhythm. Our earth rotates according to a rhythm. The sun rises and sets according to a rhythm. In fact, it's the rhythm of the earth rotating around the sun that created time in the first place. And even with you, God created you with a rhythm. Right now, your heart is beating to a rhythm. Without even thinking of it or being conscious of it, you are breathing to a rhythm. As advanced as medical science is, if you go to the doctor, the first thing they will check is your rhythm. Because they know if there's something off with your rhythm, the rest of your health will be out of sync. It's, it's funny. Rhythm is something that you don't often notice until it's absent. I was watching a marching band. There's 50 of these kids. And 49 of them were doing it perfect. Marching in step. Moving, turning in step. Every motion in step. But then there's that one kid. And it's amazing. 49 were doing it perfectly. And one person out of rhythm messed up the whole performance. It's that, it's that person in church. Everybody can be clapping on beat, and it's just one unified thing. And you always got that one person who doesn't quite. To everything, there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. God has set a rhythm for the seasons and times and purpose in our lives. And if you want to be effective, you have to stay in the rhythm that God set. Now, in Luke chapter 8, there was a woman who had a rhythm but lost it. The scripture says she had an issue of blood, meaning, just to be clear, that she went into her cycle but then never came out of it. Now, to be clear, a woman's cycle is a rhythm designed by God. And according to the design, there's a time that the woman goes into the cycle. And thank God, there's a time. That she comes out of it. This woman's problem is that she went into the cycle and stayed there. Never came out. She's been stuck 
in something for 12 years that she should have been through with in a few days. Have you ever been stuck? Have you ever gone through something in your life so painful that it stopped your motion? It stopped your rhythm. It stalled your effectiveness. It froze your mind in a moment of time. There's a song that says, you got stuck in a moment and you can't get out. You ever seen a person that on the outside, you know, they're still dressing like it's 1992? You know. She said the 90s are back. Okay. Have you ever seen a person that looks like they were dressing in, in the two, early 2000s? They got one new haircut 30 years ago and decided, I ain't ever changing this haircut. And it's kind of funny on the outside when we see it. We can identify somebody that got stuck in the moment. Or somebody gets stuck in, in, their, in their high school football days. 53 years old telling you the same story about how they scored the touchdown at the end of the game to win regionals. And, and they're stuck. You know, they're stuck. Or these people that hate all new music. It's not music unless it was made in the 70s stuck, unable to perceive quality from any other time period except for the time period where they got stuck. And it's funny when you're talking about clothes, football, and music, but it's not funny when you're talking about somebody's soul and their spirit. When they just get stuck, they get hit so hard with a pain they can't move on from or they have a failure in their life that they can't pick themselves up from or they go through a tragedy and they just they get stuck this woman had an issue that broke her rhythm and when the rhythm is broken in your life you start losing things she lost her fertility. The scripture tells us that she lost all of her money spending them on physicians. She had lost her relationships. When she went out in public, she had to declare that she was unclean according to Mosaic law. She's lost a lot. But the worst thing she lost was time. And this text is not as much about bleeding or hemorrhaging. It's about what happens to the human soul when you allow an issue to break your rhythm. And the enemy of your life and mine, Satan, will always be sending things into your life with no other purpose than to break your rhythm. He will send problems. He will send people. There are some people that get assigned by the enemy to your life for no other person or no other purpose than to knock you off track, knock you out of rhythm. He, he will send things, and he's, he's not even after the thing he's attacking. Did you hear me? 
He's not even after the thing he's attacking. You know, your car broke down. The enemy don't want your car. He wants your rhythm. You lost your job. The devil don't want to work for that bank. He wants your rhythm. Having problems with your spouse. The devil don't want them. He wants your your rhythm. He wants to break your rhythm. And as the text starts in verse 41, it's strange. And I want you to notice as we do a little bit of text work that this woman is not even the focus of the text. She is an interruption in the text. Scripture says, behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had only one little daughter at 12 years of age, and she was dying. And it was as Jesus was going with Jairus to pray for his daughter that a woman comes up behind him in the crowd. She has, verse 43, a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed from any. And she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. And it's interesting because there's two women in the text. They don't know each other. One of them is old. One of them is young. The only thing they have in common is time. The woman with the issue had had the issue for 12 years. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This means that the daughter was born the same year that the woman's issue of blood started. This means that the entire time the little girl was growing up, that the woman was going down. And it all happened in 12 years. 12. Numbers matter to God. We see things in the scripture that teach us that numbers matter to God. For instance, one is an expression of God's holiness. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Three is an expression of his deity. He is Father, he is Son, and he is Holy Ghost. Five is an expression of his grace. Five wounds in the body of Christ. Five porches on the pool of Bethesda. Seven is an expression of his perfected completion. Eight is the number of new beginnings. Ten is the number of wholeness. The tithe is symbolic of the whole. But twelve is the number of government and order. Government and order. God selected 12 tribes to become the nation of Israel, and they were governed by the elders of 12 tribes. When it came time for Jesus to start his ministry, he picked nine disciples. He picked seven disciples. He picked five disciples. He picked 12 disciples, which would become 12 apostles to carry the New Testament church into order. Second prophecy I have for you, that this challenge that has knocked you out of rhythm, this sickness that has knocked you out of rhythm, this financial burden. 
burden that has knocked you out of rhythm is going to be addressed by God here in the 12th month and that God will bring order to your life and the rhythm will return before the end of this year. God will bring order to your life and the rhythm will return before the end of this year. God will bring rhythm to your life. He will bring order to your life before the end of this year. There's a rhythm to the text. A 12-year-old daughter, a woman sick for 12 years, two different generations, but they're both dying and they both need a miracle. I saw little kids crying in the worship service earlier. I saw their parents crying. And I realized two different generations both need Jesus. Two different generations both will die without a touch from God, an intervention from heaven. Two different generations, but we both need him just as bad. In the text, you got a young one and an old one, but they're both dying and they both need Jesus just as bad. Your child needs Jesus as much as your granddaddy needs Jesus. Your two-year-old needs Jesus as much as your 82-year-old family member needs Jesus. We all have this thing in common called the human condition, which makes us need Jesus. Say this with your hand over your heart. Oh, how I need Jesus. And in the text, Jesus has targeted his focus. He has targeted his ministry and his strength toward answering the request of Jairus. I only got one little girl. She's 12 years old and she's laying at home and she's dying. Would you please come quick? Jesus said, sure will. And starts walking. I want you to know he's on his way to the younger generation. And while he's on his way to the younger generation, he passes by the older generation. He passes by the woman that had the issue. He's not coming to touch her. In fact, he never touches her. Some things God will not touch. Sometimes you just have to touch him. Ah, I want to stop and thank him that he's given us the access to touch him. I want to stop and praise him that through our faith we can touch him and through our worship we can touch him and through our song we can touch him and through our hope we can touch him. He, he is on his way to touch somebody else, but she decides to reach out and touch him. And I want you to notice next the activity difference in the text. There's a difference in the activity of the women. The scripture said the daughter lays passively at the point of death. The, the original translation said she lay a dying. She's passively dying. And this, the, the scripture brings out that, uh, that they had to travel to her. She's, she's, she's dying passively. 
this is the mistake of youth. We lay dying because we think we have time. We're not as aggressive and we're not as desperate and we don't work as hard and we don't have as much gravel in our gut because the awareness of how short time really is has yet to sink deep down in our soul and our mind. And, and so we always think we have more time. But as you get a little bit older, an amazing awareness comes on you and, and you realize that the days are short. You, you realize that your body's changing and your face is changing and your, your mind's changing a little bit and time is, is running out on you. So the woman says, I cannot afford to do what the younger generation is doing and wait laying and dying for Jesus to come and touch me. If he's not going to come to me I will get my dying self up and I will go and I will touch him I gotta touch Jesus I gotta touch you I'd love it if he'd touch me but but if not I have to touch Jesus in Matthew 9 21 A different gospel account of this same story gives us insight into her internal conversation. For the Bible says, she said to herself, the the preacher didn't tell her he wouldn't come to her house. The prophet didn't tell her she couldn't go to the meeting. She said to herself, if only I may touch his garment. He's so anointed. He's so powerful. He's got so much ability. I don't even have to touch his body. If I can touch his garment, I shall be made well. I want you to see this. The miracle didn't start when she touched Jesus. It started when she said to herself, it started when she turned her internal narrative around and began to tell her situation about how powerful Jesus was. She began to tell her circumstance about how powerful Jesus was. She began to tell her sickness about how powerful Jesus was. And the Greek said she said it over and over and over. If I may but touch the hem of his garment. Lost a little more blood, but if I may touch the hem of his garment. I'm getting lightheaded. I can't barely walk, but I can still crawl because if I can touch the hem of his garment, I know that I shall be made whole. This is the only person in scripture that Jesus didn't speak his word to or lay his hands on. Nobody else in scripture got healed by Jesus without him at least speaking his word to them. Or putting his hands on them in some way. This woman didn't get his word or his hand. She had faith in who he was. And she said to herself, I can go get that miracle from myself. If I can touch the hem of his garment. The miracle wasn't in the physical touch. I can prove it. Jesus said, who touched me? Peter said, everybody. 
No, 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 no. It wasn't in the physical touch. It was in the faith touch. Because she touched him with her face before she ever touched the border of his robe. That's what somebody was doing this morning in worship. You were touching God with your faith. You were touching God with your worship. You were touching God with your view of who he is. And, and she touched him with her face. And she kept saying it. You can talk yourself out of a cycle. I know you want a pill. I know you want a new life circumstance or a new job or a new man. Or a new house with not quite so many crazy loud kids in it. But believe it or not, Whatever the state is, you can talk yourself out of a cycle. Look at somebody and say, talk yourself out. And then verse 44 says, and I'm done. Verse 44 says, she came up from behind him. You know what this means? It means he passed her by walking, looks at her, kept walking. She had been overlooked. She had been forgotten. She had been told by body language, today's not your day. But she came from behind. Last prophetic word for you, for all the people who have felt overlooked, for all the people who have felt ignored, for all the people that feel like your prayers are hitting a brass ceiling and not getting through. God sent me here to tell you, you're coming from behind. You're going to make a comeback. You're going to make it there. And God allowed her, God allowed her to be able to reach him. Just in time. I want to tell somebody who's worried about the time. I want to tell somebody that's worried about how long you've been bleeding. I want to tell somebody that's worried about how long you've been stuck. I want to tell somebody that's worried about how long you've been facing the same issue that hasn't moved God sent me here to tell you, it's all timed out. There's something called the law of content. The law of content states that you cannot give what you do not have. You can talk about it, you can pontificate about it, but you can't give what you do not have. Let me give you something. I want to give this to somebody that's hurting. Let me give you something. You can keep playing. Let me give you something. When did he first try to come in the exam room? 22 weeks. 22 weeks. This boy, stand up boy. Wave at everybody. tried to come at 22 weeks they did 
God supernaturally stopped the, the labor. They wouldn't do the emergency surgery to try to keep him in because she was in labor. God stopped the labor in the middle of the night and she had an emergency cerclage put in, okay? Very little of the cervix left. It was very touch and go. But the doctor got it in and we were praising God and the doctor said, we really need to get to at least 28 weeks. We were praying for 30, you know? Believe in God for 30, you know? Sowing seeds for 30. Walking around, confessing, speaking in the name of Jesus. That boy is going to stay in there till 30 weeks, which would have, would have made him only 10 weeks premature. We thought we had seen the miracle of the labor stopping and them able to get the emergency cerclage in to keep him. We thought we had it. And we were saying the same God that stopped that labor is going to keep him in there till 30 or at least 28. He comes at 24. I'm devastated. God has failed me. He didn't answer my prayer. I sowed seeds. I emptied my bank account into the kingdom of God because I believe in seed time and harvest. I believe in miracles. I've seen it all in my life. I walked the floor. I fasted and prayed. Get me to 28. Comes at 24. I've never been more disappointed in God in my entire life than 24. But then they told us they had to do a a culture or a test or something on the placenta because it was a very strong and aggressive infection in his body. And they tested the placenta. It was riddled with infection from the surgery. When they did the surgery to keep him in, something happened and everything got infected. They said if he would have stayed in her body even one more day, that infection would have killed him dead. What I didn't know when I was blaming God and disappointed and upset and felt like God had failed me, what I didn't know was that it was all timed out I cannot give you what I do not have, but I was in a mess in my life. Mess. And I was in, uh, I was in California because sometimes you just have to get away from it all. I was, I was a much younger man and I had younger man things going on. And I'm in California, chilling. And I get a call from somebody I really didn't like. 
inviting me to a wedding I didn't really want to go to in the state of Ohio, which I'm not particularly fond of. Sorry if you're from Ohio. And for some reason, I decided to get on a plane from California and not go home, but just fly to Ohio. Katie is living in Michigan, doing hair for a very successful salon. She gets invited to that wedding that's in Ohio, and she said, no, I'm working. Then her grandma dies. And because grandma died, she had to drive from Michigan to Ohio. And because she was there anyway for the funeral, decided to go to the wedding. She's at the wedding. I'm at the wedding. Our meeting each other, take those strings, Dale, start crying like a movie set. Listen, our odds of meeting each other, we're like lottery type odds. But what she didn't know crying over grandma's casket and what I didn't know with my attitude about having to be there was that God had it all Times, I, I don't know what you're believing for. I don't know where your soul is hemorrhaging. I don't know where your issue of blood is. But listen to somebody who knows. God's got it. All timed out. For the next 30 seconds and 30 seconds only, I license you as a prophet. I want you to get up and tell as many people as will listen to you and encourage them. Look them in the eye. Grab them by the arm or the shoulder and tell them God's got it all timed out. Don't be nervous. Get up. Go around. Tell people God's got it. Somebody run. Tell me. I need somebody to tell me. Come on now. God's got it all timed out. Got it all timed out. Yes, sir, pastor. He's got it all timed out. He's got it all timed out. Don't quit. Don't fall down in that depression. Don't walk away from your promise. God's got it all. Time. This is my proof. It's my proof. I ain't spinning you a yarn. This is my proof. God's got it. All timed out. Go sit next to your mama. show you I'm 
going to receive an offering for our future, for our children's ministry that we're building. In fact, take your seat for a minute. I want, I want you to know there's a couple of times where challenging people to give an offering is not just something you do because the church has to continue to exist. Sometimes it's something you do because God whispers and says that he wants one that he wants an offering. If you, if you look in your Bible, if you look on the screen at Exodus chapter 25 in the message translation, God says something interesting. You can bring that down just a bit. If you go to uh, Exodus 25 in the message translation of the scripture, I love what the Bible says. God spoke to Moses. He said to tell the Israelites to set aside for him offerings and to receive the offerings from everyone who is willing to give. Everybody say willing heart. Upstairs, I need y'all to find Exodus 25 and 26, and I want it in the message translation, chapter 25 and 26. A willing heart. Everybody say it again. A willing heart. Do you know that God doesn't receive offerings that don't come from a willing heart? I can prove it in scripture. The first offering that was given in scripture was an offering given from Cain and Abel. And the Bible says that God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's. Why? It was a heart issue. Sometimes people give, but they're not giving with a willing heart. Okay. And so he says, I want you to take an offering for me. Look at that. God said, take it for me. And I want you to receive it. Here's the only ones I want you to receive it from, from everyone who is willing to give. Then what I, what I want you to notice is I want you to notice how specific God is. Because what determines willingness is who's deciding. Stay with me. Don't leave your mind. What determines willingness is who is deciding. If, if I were just to say, give something, that's not a true test of willingness. But if I was to say something specific, then once the specific thing comes into your hearing, you can decide whether or not you're willing. Okay, that's what he does here. He said, I want you to receive the offerings from everyone who's willing to give. These are the offerings I want you to receive. He says gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, uh, ram skins, dolphin skins, acacia wood, lamp oil, spices for anointing oils. And he goes all the way down and he's listing the materials that's needed to build the tabernacle. He says... I want to build a house for me to meet with you in. I want to build a house for worship. 
and I don't want it constructed just any way. These are the materials that I want. Very interesting how he asked for all that. And what I want you to notice is every offering matters. Say it with me. Every offering matters. For instance, he says, I want you to take an offering of gold, silver, bronze. How many know there's a big difference between the value of bronze and the value of gold? That means there were some people in the congregation that Moses was speaking to that had gold. There were some people, they didn't have gold. All they had was bronze. But every offering matters. He said, uh, I also want uh, blue, purple, and scarlet material. There are some people that had material, blue and purple and scarlet. There are some people, they didn't have that. They only had linens. There are some people that didn't have that. They only had spices for the anointing oil. But every offering mattered in the construction of what God was calling the people to build for him. He said, take me an offering. Take this for me. But the thing that got me the most about this, he says, read with me. He says, I want you to receive gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet material, fine linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and dolphin skin. He said, I want somebody in this congregation. He didn't ask everybody. He said, I want somebody in this congregation to bring dolphin skin. A dolphin skin offering. Now, pause, folks. I don't know if you know your biblical geography or not. But these folks are in the middle of the desert. Where are you going to go get dolphin skin? It's an absurd request. But God told Moses to ask for it. I bet Moses was shaking in his boots. Uh, would anybody like to give the Lord some uh, dolphin skin? God wants it. But God knew that there would be at least one person, at least one family in that congregation that had been to the sea, that knew where the dolphins were and knew how to catch them. And listen, it's not easy to catch a dolphin. They're brilliant. I want you just to get a sense of the sacrifice, the journey that had to be involved, the labor that had to be involved to bring God what he asked for when he asked for dolphin skin. Now listen to me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Every offering matters. But God nudged me. And he told me in the way that he does, that he speaks to me. He told me on December the 3rd, I want dolphin skin. In other words, I want a sacrificial offering that requires inconvenience, that requires a journey, that requires energy, that requires a stretch. And he said, I want you to ask. He said, I'll, I'll put some people there that day 
that will have the capacity. God never asks you for what you do not have, but he will challenge you with what you do have sometimes. He said, I, Jason, I want you to take me an offering. And he said, and I, I want it to be dolphin skin. In other words, I want the request to be a stretch, to be a challenge, to be a difficulty. And so with every head bowed, I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to be obedient. I won't preach anymore to you. I won't challenge you anymore. But for those that have a willing heart, and please don't give it if your heart's not willing. But for those that have a willing heart, I want to take God an offering of dolphin skin of $1,000. No looking around. I don't want to embarrass nobody, but I want to challenge you with a dolphin skin offering of $1,000. Many of our leaders in Mantle already have done this this morning in our first session. But if you're here right now and you want to join the leaders who are already participating in this offering, this $1,000 dolphin skin offering, I want you to stand if you're in the room. No looking around, please keep your head bowed. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dolphin skin. Dolphin skin. God said he wanted it. God led me to ask. And if you've got a willing heart, if you've got a willing heart, stand. Those of you that stood up, keep standing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Dolphin skin. Strange request. Hard request. But he said he wanted it. You hear the challenge and you say, I, I have a willing heart and I, I want to do that. I'll get as close to that as I can. I'll get as close to that as I can. Whatever that number is, I'll get as close as I can before God. I'll, I'll get as close as I can. Would you stand? I'll give, I'll give as close as I can. Would you stand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Whether it's $500, $200, $100, you say, I'll get as close as I can. Would you stand? Would you stand? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God sees it. God sees it. He asked for it and he sees it. He sees it. Would you get you an envelope, please? 
everyone else you can give in this offering as you are led. Thank you for allowing me to echo what I heard the Lord ask me to do. Get an offering in your hand for the house of God. For the house of God. And I want you to remember it is all timed out. Get your offering. If you're giving on your phone, the information is right up there to my left and to my right of how you can give and participate in this offering. Dolphin skin. The difficult request. The hard ask. For those that have a willing heart, hear the request of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Go on and prepare your offering. Prepare your offering. We gave our tithe earlier. That's how we show we're obedient, but our offering is how we show we're grateful. Come on, get you an offering. Get you an offering. Get it in your hand. Get it in your hand. Stand all over the house. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit would hover over every single person, that you would bless them, that as they touched you today in their worship and in their faith, in their sacrificial giving, Lord, I pray that the healing power and the delivering power and the power to bless and to prosper would flow from you to them in the name of Jesus, I ask. Encourage our heart and bear witness to our minds that no matter what we're facing, it is all timed out. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody shout amen. God bless you. If you have your offering, you can text it or you can bring it. We love you very much. We will see you this coming Wednesday night.